What's up, guys? Hello and welcome to the Drum Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Mardorf, our 20s art director. And with me today, I have our talented video producer, Justin, as co-host. On this episode, we bring to you Felton Brown, VP of Creative Services at Dreamville, one of the most influential labels in hip-hop at the moment. Felton is the man behind some of the most iconic mixtape and album covers that have flooded the screens of our YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify, and honestly, any other music platform you can think of for the past decade. From creating cover art for J. Cole to now directing all the creative efforts for the Dreamville brand, on this episode, Felton opens up to us about his early days as a Black creative, pivoting from advertising to the music industry, and how his homies are key for his success today. Now sit back and enjoy your weekly dose of the drum podcast. As a black creative in the industry, you know that there's not a lot of representation or people that look like us. How did you make it a point for your story to be heard within the industry? I'd say the first thing is uh, would be networking. As a creative, I always never put my stuff in one basket. so. I had a lot of different jobs from the beginning to currently where I'm at now. Um, around the time when I first came out of school, uh, a few friends and I, we started our own shop, our own creative shop, trying to do websites, graphic design, like whatever people needed, a CD cover, promo flyer for an event. We were trying to do everything and websites. And during that time, usually three times a week we'd be out trying to go to like these they used to have these um mixers in the city where like there'd be hip-hop artists there there'd be different kind of med- creatives that use different mediums and everybody's basically trying to get on around that time trying to like get to know each other trying to connect with other people to you know progress and move up so i think early on the number one thing i knew was my voice wasn't loud enough I, as just me being felt in in that time so it really was, I had to shape the trees. I had to get out, introduce myself, give out business cards, which is like a rare thing now. People don't even really have business cards anymore, but like, you know, just really be in this, the pavement every day, trying to let people know that, you know, I'm here, the team I was working with is here, and, you know, we have a service that we would love to use and share and, and make money off of at the same time. So early on, it was just a lot of, a lot of, uh, getting people to know who I am as a creative and knowing the company I was working for at the time as a creative. Like now, present day, we're way, we're way into the future from those early steps, you know? Mm-hmm. What was the wildest thing I think you've done as a young creative to get somebody's attention and be like, all right, I'm felt and I need to be put on here? Yo, well, this is mad funny. We built a website for Director X. We built one of his first, we built like his first two websites. And he had a huge party back in the day in Manhattan for the launch of this website. Like all the big artists came through. I literally had my friend's uncle, who was like this award-winning barber, cut the logo for the company in the back of my hair. Like literally I had like, I always, I didn't even have hair like this back in the day. I had like a low, super low Caesar. And at the time, mm-hmm. I think my hair was just growing out. Like I was just not getting hair cause just being in the office. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to give him the logo that's on the business card and see if he cut it in the back of my head. I still have that picture somewhere. It's probably like a lower res. I had a palm trail at the time. So the camera 
quality of that photo isn't insane, but there is a photo of the back of my head that it has the word E-F-L-A-T, which was the name of the company, E-flat, like on the back. So when I was walking through the party, I literally had that on the back of my head. So yeah, I've done... I've done crazy stuff like that. I would never do that again, but I was young. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And would you say that kind of came in from this whole idea and, like, I guess advertising, they always tell you to, like, go all out for your client and, like, just think of, like, innovative ways to really, like, get their attention? Do you think that came from there or you just always had that in you? I definitely thought it was a conversation piece in that moment like it's like yo we all had t-shirts with our company logo on it we all had like a stack of business cards and like yo like everybody's gonna be in this room we gotta like give them out we gotta meet people so i was like you know all right someone's gonna ask me about that and i'm like well this is my company i did that da, 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 da. and people did and you know that was just you know to me looking back that's a bad idea like in the sense <laughs> of like how much work you're gonna really get from that moment but i was thinking how do we get noticed in a party where we don't even, we don't even, um, what's the word? We're not uh, the person that they're there to see. Luckily, he allowed us to have our logo on the, the, um, the step and repeat, things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? So, so of course, it's like, yeah, we should have the logos on because if people see that and then they see that, they'll connect the dots that we are somebody that, yeah, you should talk to me other than the other mm-hmm. artists that are in the room. That's just an e- early, early, early memory about trying to get noticed what did uh i guess the other two people on your team say about like the haircut what did they say like were they clowning you or Nah, it was crazy they just thought i was nuts but you know (laughs) they thought it was crazy but they didn't care it's like you know after the party i shave it off you know whatever i was wondering if because we know you kind of moved from advertising to the music scene so is misrepresentation one of the reasons um you wanted to kind of move from one scene to the next? Or how did you come about making that decision? Uh, it was a really hard decision because at the time, I recently, I was at this my new agency for only like a year and a half going on two. But the opportunity at the time to like uh, basically get to do like a plethora of things that I don't get to touch in advertising was like the draw and also working with someone that I'm really close to, you know? So mm-hmm. that, that, those two things sold me on like taking, taking the leap because at the end of the day, like advertising has like a pretty steady kind of work that you might do at a general market agency and a steady, steady incline based on the agency performing well and them not losing any clients to like where you're going to mm-hmm. get to next. And at the time, it's like, you know, some of the stuff we were working on wasn't really, it wasn't really like ideally anything I wanted to work on. And Mm -hmm. then on top of it, I kind of felt like if there was going to be a time that I make this pivot, this might be one of the last times because I was trying to make a decision of what I wanted the next few years of my life to look like. So I literally had to pick which, which door, like I didn't, I had already chose the door of the advertising door, but then as I was going up the escalator, I saw like a window, like, Hey, this might be, this might be a pivot that you didn't, you weren't considering, but you might want to, you might want to consider it in this moment. And then, and at first it was like, it was like, you know, I was losing my mind about it. I was losing sleep for like, maybe like a week trying to decide if I'm going to do it. 
And I didn't even tell my parents when I did it. Like, mind you, I'm, a, I'm grown, but I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want to, you know, they don't really know what I do, but they know stability in the space of where I was working. So for like months, they didn't know that I, I changed lanes. Like, you know, I was still getting paid. Like everything was still fine. And then one day I finally just told them, but I was like, I didn't want to include them in my decision-making process in that moment. Mm-hmm. I know it had to be something I did for myself. Mm-hmm. And what was their, their first reaction, I guess, um, when they when you told them? What, they were shocked because they knew when I met, when I got to that place and they knew like it was kind of like career changing. So mm-hmm. they were just shocked that it happened. But once they knew everything was still moving, they didn't. It was like, well, he, he looks like he has it figured out. It wasn't like the in-between phase of it. You know, I was already still yeah. doing and producing. So it was just like, all right, I guess you know what you're doing. That's dope. Having parents like that is always crucial um, to our growth. I was wondering, too, do you feel like um, having been in advertising first kind of gave you like a competitive edge when moving into uh, music? Yeah, because I think there's some 360 things I understand. You know, some of them are used in music, some of them are not. But there's like a way to look at the scope of a project from that way, you know, from prepping to like just just the way you, you pull like multiple ideas out of one directive in in, mm-hmm. in advertising it's always like a million ideas and then it's like at the end it's like one idea goes through the door so i think that training was very um important to my growth because i got to kind of like take an orange and like peel it all the way back to like figure out what's the idea what's the thought in like looking at this thing and sometimes it makes me like pretty fast about getting to the the right answer or the easy answer mm-hmm. to, to, to like a problem we need to solve. So I'll definitely give those, those late, those late nights and like those crazy hours, all cr- credit and props for like how I think about stuff. Working in music now and like um, in Dreamville, do you see a lot of those crazy hours that you were working in advertising and translating over because your team is relatively small, like you said? Well, like, I think the, because um, the 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 way music moves now, it's very, you know, you're competing for you're competing for ears, and we have about eight eight nine acts on our roster, and the way things come out now, it's not just about when you drop the album. It, it might be, it might be how do you support a brand opportunity that they're working on? How do you support a song they're featured on for someone else? How do you support an upcoming event? How do you support something they're doing on? YouTube or Vivo. So there's always some different thing going on. So really, it, you have to always be knowing that there's things that need to be produced and you're always switching lanes. And I feel like because when you when I used to work at a general market agency, you always had about four or five major clients. And then under that, they had a bunch of little things going on. So it's kind of like the same thing of there's always something moving. It's no longer locked into a single album single video album that like that doesn't exist anymore it's so many different avenues mm-hmm. and portals for us to push entertainment through so there's always work to be done and then brand partnerships and all this stuff so what it what advertising i think gave me was just the skill to like work on a bunch of things at once as a company we don't oversaturate but we do know also we have to adjust for the time because music and entertainment move so fast we kind of have to um we kind of have to like 
find different ways to keep our artists in the eye of the public. So now we're learning, you know, different ways to brand them. We have a couple of different things coming up throughout the year where you might see our artists representing themselves without even servicing music, right? So that's a way to keep them in the mind's eye of the consumer while they're not putting out music. So yeah, we're, we're, we're learning every day because it's, you know, the, it, the ebbs and flows of this thing is just changing constantly. So it's definitely something you have to be on your feet, um, on your tippy toes, making sure you know what's going on. So I can't say we have it down to a science. I, I say that we're, we are students of how everything moves. Would you say one of your, um, the things that you do as well is kind of putting that strategy hat that perhaps you got from advertising and kind of applying that into now Dreamville and all the music work that you do? You know, when we come to a phase where we're trying to come up with ideas for like a, a rollout or a campaign or something we're doing with a partner that we're branding with, absolutely. Some of my old, um, my old fundamental like ex mind exercises to get to an idea definitely comes back into play. And there's definitely like, there's so many things that we, we could lean on that um, we've already done. You know, we have like a formula in the sense of like people kind of know our brand does certain things hand in hand. So there's things that we could actually use that's familiar and, and brands and, and our consumers will trust. So we have a, we have like sort of a playbook of things that we can touch, but then there's also the room for like things that there's exciting new things to try. So, mm -hmm. What is like the biggest, I guess, mistake you see young advertisers making coming into the industry? I don't think they're the ones. I think right now, I think advertising is in a is in a, a place of like making a lot of responsive advertising to consumers, which I don't really think is the the way to make advertising. I feel like the other way around where, you know, coming up with an idea and a root like slogan and thought and then producing something for the world as opposed to being very reactive. I feel like a lot of ads we see today are more reactive. I think creatives that are going into the space don't need to be reactive and don't need to only draw the ideas from what they see from social media. I think they should really take initiatives and uh, take briefs and really try to pull an idea out of something that they can't look at the Pinterest wall of the internet because you're just gonna get like a reverb of the same things that's already been in the space. I think you really have to turn away from that and like really read a brief and try to write something without looking into the world. I think there's a lot of this uh, mirroring of, of thoughts that's like in in the creative space now, you see a lot of things that look very similar. I think it, the space we need to get mm -hmm. into is trying trying to, you know, come up with an inner thought, like even a selfish thought, like personally, how do you feel about this product or mm -hmm. this thing you want to push in? Like, what do you want to see it for yourself as opposed to how it's been pushed a million times or how the masses are telling you on Twitter, you know, that's mm -hmm. not real. It's not real, you know, it's a very small base of people. What for you truly makes a good idea? A good idea? I think what makes a, a really good idea is something that makes, something that makes me, like a really good ad is usually something that makes me think a lot about the subject that they're trying to push. 
and then taking like taking a, a real thought and flipping it on its head like mm-hmm. like I, I always love I always love like some kind of ad campaign where like they take like like the non-facing idea and then and then like turning it in a way that's one really tongue-in-cheek and like just a truth that people are afraid to say because a lot of times it's like it is like basic things that you know we all agree upon and like what like i remember a friend um had this thing um uh he had this campaign idea about we uh love your money it was like a bank idea and it's true like banks want you to deposit a bank is fighting for your money and people do love their money like people check their bank account statements when it's low they're sad when they have a lot they're happy but it's like it's not the right thing to say right it's like it's Mm -hmm. not safe it's like that's like politically incorrect but to me the honesty of something like that for me as a consumer i would probably respect it more and things that are like that are super brave and and, mm-hmm. and i feel like ads in that nature are always like to me like way cooler way more incited and usually those are the things that stand out when it comes to award season mm-hmm. most of the time i'd say now there's like this we're in like a weird time but like most of the time the, the things that are like are like that they um they actually garner the most attention you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> i guess how would you say you apply those like insights um and like human truths that um seem to be working for you the most into like ideating for like music work well for music work the, the lucky thing about artists is no matter what they say they have the creative license of being like artists as opposed to like, they're not trying to sell you Tide and then Tide has a board of trustees mm-hmm. and the board of trustees is like, Tide, you can't put this in your ad. Artists present day and hopefully for the remaining fu- future have the creative license that they are poets and their storytelling, whether it's true or not, they're painting a picture to convey an emotion or make you feel something. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you agree somewhat they still have that creative license to do this so Mm -hmm. because of that we're okay in the sense of how we could promote what we promote you know with discretion but we're more it's we still have a little more free reign as opposed to like if we owned a company and we're pushing product Mm -hmm. it's a a different thing that we have to worry about you know yeah no as a creative having creative freedom is definitely a little more exciting. I, I read an article that you did with Folklore, and it spoke about how, like, you were inspired by, like, comics. How does that kind of inspire you now today? And, like, do you still draw on the side? My sad thing is, is like, I, I, bought, a, I bought a sketch pad the other day, I, I, and the most sketches I've been doing lately are, like, rough storyboard sketches, bad, bad sketches of, like, stage design, bad sketches to, of, like, photo shoots, like, really bad, but I, I do want to just get back for just personally, not selling it, not anything, but just like, you know, getting like into my Bob Ross or, you know, get, just just being at home on a, on a, like a personal time sketching again. Um, my superhero, I don't know anymore. It's like, it, it's such a far removed time. When I was, when I was young, my favorite character was Spawn because it was like one of the illest comic books to me. Like, McFarlane was like in his in his second act, left Marvel Comics, 
went over the image to start this new character and the character was black. So I, and it was like some of the best drawing at the time with like stuff that he was doing and Jim Lee was doing. There was like a lot of things happening in the image at the time. And it was just like, yo, that's what I want to do. Because as a kid, I was like, that's, that's cool. That's what I'm into. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it wasn't, but from, from like, you know, that was like the, the first lantern that kind of like took me on my journey. And that's, I always owe tribute to that, but you know, I don't, I don't draw as much as, as I used to, but I think drawing for me will come from a place of just personal fulfillment. Nah, I feel that. I feel that I started as well um, as an artist. So I guess my question is now, like you mentioned that you want to bring back um, like drawing, sketching on the side. Is there any current like um, personal projects you've been working on? Oh yeah. There's a personal project I'm working on. I can't really speak about it, but I'm working on mm -hmm. it with like six, six really good friends. And I feel like it's important. I think it's going to be really good. And it's going to be definitely a pivot in like what I do as a creative. It's a whole different medium that I've never done before. So I'm really excited about it from the space of like doing something that I've, I have no really business doing. And <laughs> it's, 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 it's a leap into something else, but I'm looking forward to it. You were in front of the camera. Basically, your friend was taking a photo shoot and you got your um, wallpaper put on in Brooklyn somewhere. How did you feel about that? Were you like excited? Well, he did, he did that last, that was last year. So basically he, my, my friend, he's a really dope photographer named uh, Kidder Joseph. He, um, he shot a photograph series of, of black people with their hair, with their back to the camera and basically talking about what is hair, how does, what do, how do you feel about your hair, et cetera. And I got to be a part of that series. And Like around last year, um, my dad passed away and I was really like, like just, you know, kind of down in the dumps, I had like a, it was like a really bad time when it happened. And as in tribute to, to me and my family, he put a mural up of myself, like somewhere in Brooklyn. And that video is from that time. And it really like lifted me up because he, he just did it to, you know, you know, show his love and appreciation for me as a friend. And it really like lifted me up a lot. Like I, I really needed it. I'm a pretty strong, strong guy, but you know, nothing, I don't think nothing can prepare you for like losing a parent. And it was just like, you know, something that kind of covered me in that time. And I'm forever grateful for that. And then he did, he did, he did another one. And then at the bottom of the second one he did, it was something else, but he had a tribute to my dad on it. I would say what I would want to ask you now. So when you f feel yourself like getting into those moments that you just feel like either down or stuck or anything, like what usually like gets your soul to feel kind of that like passion and emotion that you feel when you do like dope work? Usually it's the collaborative process while I'm working on it. Like the part, the prepping for it is cool and ideating is cool. But like when I get on set and I'm working with the people and we're playing music and we're like vibing, because I like to be around people, that's when like I, I guess I come alive. The prep part mm -hmm. is more like the homework. The execution of putting it together is when like, you know, you get the juices flowing and it becomes like something else. And then once it's like finalized and you see it in physical form, that's the cherry on top. Mm-hmm.
I guess like outside of uh, advertising and music, I know it's kind of generic, like in your life, but like, what was your favorite moment that you could pinpoint to like this may felt in or like this was the best thing that I've done up to this moment? I don't know, man. It's, I feel like I don't have a best one, but I do look at how each of those moments kind of made like a personal, like real, like resonate, like resonated with me. Like when, like having Forest Hills Drive and like, you know, working on that and seeing my name in a CD, buying it from the store, that was, that was a great feeling. When I went on the road and I shot this big campaign for the first agency I was at and I was super under the pressure, did it for like three months straight. That was incredible, you know, um, hopping, you know, like just, there's so many different like little moments that, that have like special meaning. I, I can't say any one made me feel like the the craziest. And it, it keeps happening, you know, like like you know, working on revenge was really special. Like and then working on off season with, with a good friend of mine is really special, you know, like I think they all deserve the space that they have is in just different ways. Like it's I don't I don't I don't know. I can't really I can't really land on one as the the Trump the Trump card. It it does feel good though. Like I can't lie, Forest Hills felt great. You know, you know, on on note to self, Cole shouting out everybody, shout me yeah. out. Yeah, like things like that feel good. You know, it, it. But then you know, you know, like I have a lot of those moments. I'm blessed to have a lot a lot of these moments where like I got to share it with with my friends and family. They got to see me do these things. You know, like even this year, you know. Got to be on uh, the uh, Culture Cons creative list. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, I got a nod from uh, Valance Community. That was great. So it's like, I, I appreciate all of them. They all, they all, they all feel great. You know what I'm saying? They all, all the flowers, all the, all the interviews I've done, all of them feel good. Especially you know when I see people share them or people hit me or DM me as like, yo, you said this. I can relate to that. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. They all feel good, man. I don't mind. I don't mind a flower, man, when it comes. I smell it straight up. Mm-hmm. But how do you, like, remain humble and, like, grounded if everybody's, like, praising you? I keep my homies with me, man. I I have a lot of homies that I'm with are, like, I've known them since I was nine. You know what I'm saying? Eight, nine. Like, some of my closest friends, you know. Like, I have friends that I've garnered uh, over the years. But I think most of my people, we know each other pretty 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 straightforward and we talk to each other very frank none of us kind of hold each other above each other like i i'm in the, you know like I, i'll make a joke like sometimes i'll be like like my life is like very like the duality of like a lot of crazy ill experiences and then some really regular experiences like like i remember once i was like on vacation i was i was literally jet skiing on some island some beautiful like super lavish island one day the next day i was on a bicycle on a sunday riding to my mom's house to have sunday dinner like i keep the balance of my life really like you know what i'm saying both of those things mean the world to me so i think it gives me perspective on like on like you know what matters you know what i'm saying like i, I keep them both pretty close so i think that's what's kept me like grounded so when you talk about like balance um you know, I feel like that's one of the hardest things, whether advertising, music, 
just really still having that time to really tune, like tune to your, to yourself, to your own space. How, how do you go about it? Like, what is your personal formula to really like, you know, stay mentally just there? Oh, well, I get in, I get in my, my quality time with my peoples. I hang out with my, my homies all the time. When I'm, when I'm home in New York, we get up, we keep a group chat. Actually, I have like three group chats. I have, cause like not all my homies know each other, but you know, there's overlap. So I have three, three solid group chats. No, that's a lie. I got five. I got five networks that I keep conversation because a lot of us live in different states now, but we shoot the shit about regular shit every day. So like, it's never like we're not, we're never like that far away from each other. So we have a place where we could connect. And I think that's important because in this new era and, and just getting older, you're never going to have that FaceTime a lot anymore because everyone's starting to form their own lives. But at least you have that camaraderie this way. And that way, you know, it's like when we get up, it's not like we don't have to do this download of like, oh, look at these baby pictures or look at this, look at that. No, we know what's going on with each other's lives in a really personal way. So when we see each other in person, it feels like we were saw each other yesterday, whether it's a year. Like one of my closest friends lives in California, hasn't lived here in years. But like the way we talk on the regular, you think that he lives across the street from me. You know what I'm saying? I keep mm-hmm. that close because that's all that matters. Like, you know, you know, meet people in the industry that are like cool and you meet some people that are just colleagues and some people are just associates. But I think you always have to have a foundation of people that really know you and that'll keep you in check. Cause one of them is going to tell you when, if you acting up, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to tell you and whether you not, you don't agree, you like inside, you're going to feel it. Like if, you know, you, if you, if you really open to give yourself a real heat check. So. And then since, you know, um, we know that one of the most unique and cool things about Dreamville is that you guys are so like family focused, like at least the way you, you manage, um, the company, I was wondering like, yes, that is obviously beautiful in one, in one side, but what has been like the most difficult part about approaching it that way? I mean, you know, like with family, sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we ain't really doing everything like i'm sometimes i ain't doing what i was supposed to do on a certain time and then somebody might give me some course correction and because it's family as opposed to corporate i might you know feel away as opposed to if it was a job i'm like you know what i'm saying like we're we're, we're close like that yeah. so but i don't think i don't think it's it's a bad thing i think it's holistic we're not gonna always agree but i think on a on the better side of that because we care about each other i think it's okay for those those things to happen you know what i'm saying i think i think it should i think it's healthy Mm -hmm. for families to disagree you know we ain't all gonna be on the same accord all the time but one thing i will say is we do care about each other but yeah we 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 go through the growing pains you know we go through it but we love each other that's a fact that's the most important part yeah (laughs) we have like a rapid fire like kind of segment so Mm -hmm. i kind of did a little bit of diving and like kind of research on you so like Whatever the first thing that comes to mind when I say this or say the word, um, I just want you to kind of like play off of that. So when I say East, Flat- East Flatbush, what do you think of? Uh, jerk chicken. <laughs> All right. Brooklyn Combine. Brothers. The blogger. The best. Authenticity. Authenticity. 
that one's hard. I can't authenticity. Um, damn, I got stumped. Authenticity. <laughs> it's like I'm literally like a straight whiteboard. I'm not even thinking. Authenticity. My mom. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I go with that one. She's she's squishy. Yeah. She, okay. Yeah. One more dream though. Family. Best the best label. Family. You can stick with family. That's first. <laughs> Could you um like expand a little bit more on the Brooklyn Combine and like how you feel about that? Because mentorship is something that we also talk about like in the ad agency for people of color that we probably don't know like or we don't have per se because we don't have people that look like us like that often. So like, um, what does the Brooklyn yeah, Combine do for you? The Brooklyn Combine has given me a place to get to be a big brother to like some beautiful kids in this in that that you know that you know just. I I could I could close my eyes and tell you like people throughout my youth that were like big brothers and secondary uncles by just them by their presence not even saying that they're like they came to be like yo do this but just because as a child you look to people above you to like you know give you direction whether they know it or not like I have a laundry list of people and one thing I say about the combine what I'm I'm proud of is that I get to do that with a lot of beautiful kids in Brooklyn. You know, I get to like, cause I feel like I, I owe it to, I owe it to like the kids in, in Brooklyn that come through those doors because I could tell you how those, when I went through it, that there were people that kind of stared me that way. So I'm just paying it forward. And I'm, I'm grateful to um, all my brothers at the combine that allowed me to be a part of it because it was something that I definitely used to do and wanted to do. And then by chance, one night I met Kenneth Montgomery and I and I met Keith White separately, different times. And then they invited me to come down and connect. And this is like many years ago now. And now we're like, you know, we all family. And it's like something that I that means a lot to me to like kind of pay it forward in that way. To like give kids like a, a, an example of like you can like something tangible like it's real like you could kind of do some of the things that i do and i come from the same neighborhoods that you come from mm -hmm. you know i think i think it's important for them to see that i someone made it real for me so i got to make it real for them so that um going back on what you just said that someone made it real for you um was there any like mentor that specifically like stood out to you that really made you in the creative professional that you are today Really young, Say Adams, number one. Say Adams is, he's he's one of the greatest to ever do it in the space of like, you know, creative direction. He, he basically did most of the projects you could think of in hip hop, like all the album covers, like he's the guy. And I met him in, in high school, very young. And he told my ass to go Go learn graphic design. He's like, yo, you don't know what you want to do? Go do that. Like literally, he's he's the first, he's the first one. And I'd say before that, the only person before that was my dean in junior high school, who basically told me that there was a you could actually take an art test to get into art school. Because if they never told me that, I would have never went to high school for art, and that would have probably never happened. But from a creative mentorship, say Adams. Say Adams, definitely, you know, I give it up to Amr Kalam, who's like my, I give him my ad, my ad mentor, you know, 
there's a lot of people. Megan Skelly. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, you know. Cliff and James. Like, there's a lot of people from ad. There's a lot of people that molded me in advertising and, you know, made me work a lot of hours to, like, get an understanding of the space. I feel like it's really hard. It's a really hard space to conceptualize and think in. And people just look at it as just selling things on selling ads. But, like, if they see all the work that goes into a thought, it would probably be respected more. But people just think they're like, oh, buy this, buy this. It looks cheesy. There's bad ads out there. But the process really on the on the other side of it is is really crazy. Yeah. Would you say there's anything kind of that, because you just said you didn't know you can um... – you know, go to high school for art and things like that. Is there anything you, in your opinion, that you think from the education system standpoint that could change to give kind of like, you know, kids um, of color that want to do like creative stuff, kind of a more like a better shaping into that what they want to get into? I mean, they just have to really invest a lot of money into the arts. Not saying everyone's going to be a musician or a painter, this and that, because just being frank, It's a very hard industry to crack into, but I feel the opportunity combined with the technology of today, like, you know, I feel like everyone should be given a fair shake to at least try. I think one thing you should always let a kid do is try something, whether or not they continue with it. I think a lot of times in, in, in a lot of under underfunded schools, they don't even have the tools to even try to see if that there's a thing that they can learn. Mm -hmm. Like some of these things are like incredibly hard to get into if you don't one have the equipment or two have the hours to practice it. And I think because they don't take them that serious, you know, kids just never even know if they have a chance in that space. So I feel like that's the number one thing is like, you know, you got to put some funding into these programs so kids could have, you know, a bunch of different things they could try to become like kids should be able to try everything. It's like a baby with food. You like When a baby's a baby, you're just like, you're just stuffing them with all type of green and vegetable because, like, baby don't really got no choice. You should give the kids mm -hmm. opportunity to try everything, different music equipment, different art mediums, everything. You should give them all that, all the options. And that, and then with the options, they'll, they'll find something that they gravitate to, man. They will. Mm -hmm. I just feel like a lot of times kids don't have the option. There's no yeah. reason that I, it should only be. Like me, probably. I don't know really that many people from like, say, my, like I graduated from an art high school and I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many people, if it's, I can't give you a, a, a strong percentage of people who are still practicing art from mm -hmm. an art high school. Now then think about a general school or like think about my whole lifetime, right? How many people are really still practicing something that they probably love? but they didn't have the, the mm -hmm. space to do it and they didn't have the resources to do it. So, yeah. So when I said blog era, you said the greatest of all time. And then also like you had part of me Duke during that time. Why is the blog era the greatest, I guess, hip hop era of all time? Well, wait, wait, no, no, no. The blog era itself was the best era in the sense of how so many different people got to connect and create. From a rap standpoint, is not the best era. The blog era was great because there was this really grassroots thing where like people who weren't in the industry kind of got themselves into the industry. That's that's what I mean. I don't 
from the rap side, for me, is the golden era, it's the 90s. I'm older. That's my favorite rap era. But I'm saying the blog era was a time where the industry existed, the radio existed, but then all these people independent of the industry started having an opinion. So like blogs became a thing where like, no, these are the best songs. These are the best upcoming artists. It wasn't the radio. It wasn't the, it was like people on the internet that started their own websites or artists on their own garnering their own audience through the internet. That's why I say that's the best era because they kind of did this grassroots effort and made it their own era where they had control mm -hmm. over their voice and got themselves deals. J. Cole, Drake, Kendrick Lamar, Lupe Fiasco, um, Big Crit. All these dudes did this on their own independently on the internet. And then the internet media source that wasn't the radio was like, yeah, these are the guys. And then the media had to pay attention. That's why the freshman mm -hmm. cover had those people. You know what I'm saying? Like that era was so special because you saw it happen in New York City. You saw it. You saw you saw all those people. Kid Cudi used to work, I think, in the Bates store. I think mm -hmm. that was the thing. He used to work in the Bates store. And then, but these were all these people that were outside in New York trying to connect with each other to get to the next level. That that was a beautiful time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you think we see a resurgence of that like nowadays or just like No, I think the internet I think the internet is a different place now. The information era is 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 different. I think you do have a place where you can probably you could get famous from the internet, but I feel like there's the grassrootsness of it is is but it might be a pendulum. Who knows? I don't feel like it might, but I mean the technology is there, right? Mm -hmm. Someone could Someone could break out. The labels, you know, they kind of, they kind of formula sign people based on metrics. But I feel like, you know, the, if if your grassroots is strong enough, you could, you could have like momentum again and, and then get up to that level. So who knows? We'll see. I guess for our last question, um, we kind of wanted to let the audience with a key takeaway. So I guess my last question would be, um, what was one of your biggest mistakes you've done in the past? And what did it teach you? Like, in a sense, what is the ultimate advice um, you would give like young professionals of color entering the field of advertising or like music and things like that? My biggest mistake. Um, let me think of a project. Oh, yeah. You just got to be honest and open your mouth. When you feel like, if you feel like something is wrong, like, like there, like I learned, like, I learned like after I left, there was things that I could have spoke up about, but I was mm -hmm. intimidated in thinking that maybe I didn't have the space to. And I think the number one thing you could learn in this world is like, you're gonna always look back and wish that you did say say it in the moment, mm -hmm. as opposed to not. So I feel like you know with with without being crass, always make your position or your perspective known. You know, whether or not they agree or not, like, you know, if you have an opinion on something, you should speak up. Or if you feel like there's something that you want to change, whether it's, you know, an environment you're working in or, you know, you don't want to work on a certain thing, you know, there's nothing wrong with speaking your mind. You know, people, a lot of times we feel like when we get to a certain place, we need to be happy to be there. And... Mm -hmm. You are. You can always be grateful for the opportunity, but then assert yourself as well without being disrespectful. And I feel like that's something that 
I mean, it doesn't matter anymore, but like, I think at the time I, I should have, you know, mm-hmm. your opinion matters. We appreciate it. We, well, we appreciate your time. Thanks again for like talking to us. No problem. Well, you guys heard it from the man himself. Stay real, stay focused and stay humble. But most importantly, don't forget your opinion matters. This wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much, Felton, for being part of this and illuminating the path for future creators of color finding their creative power. And of course, big thank you to MGP for sponsoring this program. Stay tuned for next week. Peace.